All right, so here we are in Mark chapter 9, picking up in our series of studies through the Gospel of Mark. And the verses that we read together today, we're just going to just sort of walk through uh, these verses today as we spend some time ultimately focusing in on the subject of prayer. So our the title of our message today is Faith, Power, and Prayer, and we're going to blend all of that together. But as we just pick up the story in our reading here, notice it says, and when he came to the disciples. So this is now what happens after that glorious time that Jesus and this just these couple of apostles, uh, three of them actually, Peter, James, and John. Uh, this is after the time of the transfiguration there on Mount Hermon. So we're picking up now when they've come back down the mountain. And remember, they're on the mountain. It was by far the most extraordinary moment that the uh, apostles, the, these three anyway, it's the most extraordinary moment that they had had uh, with Jesus to date. Now, the only thing that's going to surpass this will be the resurrection. But now, remember, they've been with Jesus on the mountain. He was uh, transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah appeared there. The father spoke, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So this is the experience they had. And now they come back down the mountain. And as they come to back, back into the area down there, uh, where the other nine apostles remained, they come right back to a confrontation with the religious leaders. And even more seriously, they come to a confrontation with the devil, with a, with a boy that is possessed by a demon. And so all of that to say, you know, there is some biblical uh, precedent for the idea that oftentimes after a great spiritual victory, you can be confronted with satanic opposition. That this happens uh, really uh, a lot. And it's, it's a reality. It's something that people have experienced. And you kind of wonder like, wow, you know, what is this? And even yesterday, you know, you might think, man, yesterday we had the most amazing time and God was moving and it was so powerful. And perhaps for some, you woke up today and you just thought, oh, wow, what's going on? I feel so oppressed. And that can happen. I think of Elijah in the book of Kings, where he has this amazing victory on Mount Carmel. And he calls down the, the fire from heaven and God shows up and it's this just extraordinary victory for the Lord and his prophet over the false prophets and all of that. And immediately after this, we find that Elijah uh, flees because Jezebel threatens to kill him. And he goes off and he, and he gets into a secluded place and he says, Lord, just take my life, just kill me. So, you know, he has this amazing spiritual high and then he drops down to this really, really low point. And that can happen because the enemy always is looking to counter what God's doing. So God does something in our lives 
don't be surprised if the enemy comes with um, a counterattack. It does happen. But at the same time, don't live in um, the superstition that that's always got to be the case. And the reason I say that is because sometimes people will say to me, you know, I see them, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing so great and God's this. And they'll tell you all this exciting stuff. And then they say, but man, I'm just, I'm so afraid that it's all gonna unravel here any moment. Because you know, you can't have, you can't have a good time for too long before it all goes south on you. And it's like, okay, that's kind of superstition. We don't wanna get into that mentality. You know, God blesses us. We're his people. But we're also in a battle. We're in the midst of a war. And so God gives us those reprieves. He gives us those seasons where we get refreshed and we get strengthened and we see clearly everything and it's beautiful. But then, you know, then it's kind of back to the battle, back to the front lines. And if we just keep in mind that that's the, you know, the, the rule is we're in war, the exceptions are we, we have those seasons of reprieve. And so we see that here. So they have this glorious experience. Now they come down the mountain and uh, look what happens. Uh, there he saw a great multitude around the disciples and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So Jesus comes, he sees that these, you know, these religious leaders, these uh, professional theologians, they're, they're basically a, a, attacking, verbally attacking, trying to, trying to undermine the faith of the followers of Jesus. And Jesus, it's like the mother bear syndrome comes out here, you know, and he's just immediately like, what are you talking to them about? And they, the attack is on, but Jesus comes to their defense. So one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So this is the situation. Jesus walks into this, this, this demon-possessed boy, and his disciples were unable to deal with it. So look at verse 19. And this, is, this is really out of the ordinary for Jesus, but look what he says. He, he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then he says, bring him to me. So this is, this is a little bit out of character uh, for Jesus, especially dealing with his own disciples. Jesus is very patient. Uh, we see that in many different ways all throughout uh, the Gospels. But let's not forget that Jesus can get annoyed sometimes. <laughs> you know, we, we can kind of push the limit and that's what's happening here with them. Now, this statement right here in verse 19, O faithless generation, how long shall uh, I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? This is almost a direct quote from Numbers uh, 14, 17. And it's very interesting because every time I read this passage, I think, man, this sounds so much like the way the Lord would address the children of Israel. 
many times over as you're reading through the story of, of God leading the people of Israel, you know, out of Egypt and into the promised land. There are these times where you sense with God himself, this exasperated, uh, thing with them, you know, like how, how long, and, and this is pretty much what we read about in numbers there. Now, you see, the thing is, again, God is patient. He's, he's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. Of course, he's all of those things. And we appreciate that. And we understand that. And we emphasize that. But we have to realize also, there are certain things that God expects us to to make progress. He expects us to grow. He expects our faith to grow. And the one thing that the Lord seems to express um, frustration over with his people most often is unbelief. God does not appreciate us not believing him. And you can understand why. He's faithful. So when we're not believing him, we're really kind of questioning his character. And God doesn't like that. I mean, think of the children of Israel. So there's that moment in, in Numbers 14, like I said, where, in, and actually this is, has to do with them going into the promised land. They sent the spies in. Uh, they, you know, they come to the place now where they're going to enter into the promised land. But the spies come back and 10 of them say, we can't do it. No, uh, this is... We're, we're never going to be able to survive. We're not going to be able to uh, penetrate the land. There are giants in the land. They're going to eat us up. Uh, we're, we're never going to survive. We might as well forget it. And the Lord was, was angry with that. And that's where he said that. How long am I going to bear with you? But think about it. The people who are now saying... God's not going to be with us. He's not going to take care of us. He's not going to fulfill his promise is really what they're saying. So they're talking about the one who delivered them from Egypt. They're talking about the one who brought the plagues upon the Egyptians and spared them. They're talking about the one who opened the Red Sea for them to walk through on dry land. And then when the Egyptians attempted to uh, pursue them, the sea closed up and swallowed them. And they're talking about the one who provided water out of a rock in the desert for them. They're talking about the one who's been raining down bread from heaven uh, to take care of them in the wilderness. And now as they come to the very place where God promised to take them to the promised land, they say, no, he's not going to do it. What are they saying? God's not really faithful. We can't really trust him. And the Lord says, how long am I going to put up? with this wicked congregation. And so in a sense, Jesus is expressing that same sort of exasperation here. I've been with you so long. How many miracles do you need to see? Now, remember, these guys had seen Jesus deliver people from demonic possession. They had been sent by Jesus with the power to do that. But now at this point, they're unable to do it. Why were they unable to do it? Well, we don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us, except it does tell us it was their unbelief. But I think it was also self-confidence. I think they thought that they could handle this, but they couldn't because they weren't trusting God's power. They were trusting in their own strength. But Jesus does tell them that their, their problem here was unbelief. Now, Matthew chapter 17 is the parallel passage. 
So, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they will have many, many stories that are identical. Um, But occasionally, there will be just slight differences. So one will just tell a little bit more of the story than the other. So in Matthew's gospel, this same story, when they asked Jesus the question, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus says, because of your unbelief. So this was their problem. They did not believe. They, they had a, a lapse of faith at this point. But let's uh, go on and look at the story, and then we're going to come back and look at the whole issue of belief and prayer and how these things all work together. So Jesus says um, to bring the boy to him. And so verse 20, then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. This is quite a, um, a horrific scene, as you can imagine. So his, So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this has been something that's been going on for a long time in his life, from childhood. There's no explanation given to us uh, as to how he came under the control of these evil spirits. But um, everything we know in scripture, for that kind of possession to take place, there had to be some sort of interaction with the, the spirit world. And remember, we've talked before about how at this time in history, Israel is, uh, as a nation, it's permeated with idolatry. It's permeated with demonism because of the influence of Rome uh, immediately, but many of the other nations before that. So somehow this kid comes under this authority of these demonic powers. But The man then says to Jesus in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So if you can do anything, apparently this man doesn't know exactly who Jesus is. And I think what probably was the case is this man heard about Jesus. He had heard about him. Now, remember, Jesus is in an area that he's just visiting. He, he hasn't spent a significant amount of time in this area over the years of his ministry. So he's, so he's visiting this place. And, and this man, he hears about this man, Jesus, and that he has power. So in, in his desperate situation, he goes to seek out Jesus with his son, but he doesn't find Jesus because Jesus is up on the mountain. And so I'm just in my mind, I just imagine, you know, that he comes, he finds the disciples. He says, hey, I'm I'm looking for Jesus. Well, Jesus isn't here right now. Uh, What can we do for you? We're, you know, we're his men. We're his followers. We're his representatives. What do you need? And he says, oh, my son, my, my son's got a demon. And they attempt to deliver the boy from the possession, but they're, they're not able to do it. So now Jesus comes onto the scene and the man says, if you can do anything. Now, think about it. He heard the stories. He went to the followers of Jesus. They couldn't do anything. 
So now he's like, well, I'm not sure if you can do anything either, but if you can do something, would you do it? You know, sometimes we look at the passage, and I know I've even looked at the passage and just thought, oh, you know, this stupid guy, what do you mean if you can do anything? Of course he can do something. Don't you know that? No, he probably didn't know it. He was just hoping against hope that there was going to be uh, an answer to this situation with his son. So your followers couldn't do it. Can you do anything about this? But I love the way Jesus responds. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Can you do anything about this? And you know, the, the, the literal rendering is, <laughs> Jesus actually said, can I do anything about it? <laughs> it's like, you're, you're asking me if I can do, of course I can do something about it. Can you believe? That's what Jesus is asking him. And so, but look with the man. The man says, he, the father of the child, he cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible, in my opinion. Because what happens? Jesus says it. He does it. Does he do it because this man has great faith? No. The man admitted himself. I, I, I do believe. In other words, Lord, I, I kind of believe. I, I got a little bit of faith, but that doesn't prevent Jesus from doing it. And Jesus sees the man's heart. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this is where we see once again, even though we have this moment of uh, seeing Jesus exasperated with the situation, we see now that immediately following that, he is patient and he's kind and he's gracious and he's going to help this man even though his faith is not what it could be or should be or probably later would be. So, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I can think of many times in my own life where this, this little verse has spoken to me and, and helped me. Lord, I do believe, but, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus does as he, of course, was inclined to do. Jesus saw the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this is what we want to focus on now today. But like I said, Matthew adds a little bit of a fuller account. They said, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Because if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would. But then he goes on to tell them exactly what uh, Mark records for us here. So this kind can come out by nothing but we're going to emphasize prayer because the, the fasting that's here is, uh, 
it's disputed in the original text. Now remember, the Bible was originally written in the Greek language, and we have manuscripts that we have translated the Bible from, the Greek manuscripts. Now, there's a set of Greek manuscripts, the earliest Greek manuscripts, that do not contain the word fasting. So the oldest manuscripts, the ones that go back the closest to the time of of the writing, uh, do not contain fasting. The older man, or the the newer manuscripts, the one, the ones that are um, you know further away from the original time, they do contain fasting. So there's a big debate among scholars. It's a scholarly debate as to which of these manuscripts are. Uh, the more accurate. Now, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James, then they use the newer manuscripts, so uh, you're going to have fasting. If you have an NIV or if you have an ESV or if you have any other modern translation, an NLT, um, then fasting's not going to appear. And again, this, this is a theological debate. Scholars are divided as to whether it should be or shouldn't be. Um, But because the New Testament really speaks so little about fasting, and it speaks about fasting primarily in the Gospels and in the context of uh, still Jewish life, um, we're going to focus on prayer. Because we know the, the Bible speaks about prayer, right? We know the Bible has tons of things to say about prayer. So we're not going to worry about whether fasting is to be included in here. We're going to just kind of set that aside. There's some would say the best manuscripts omit it. And so we'll go ahead and just leave that off here. And, and we want to look at prayer because what I want us to see today is that faith that manifests itself in power is connected to prayer. Faith that manifests itself in power is connected to prayer. So that's what we want to look at. Now, it was the lack of faith and their lack of faith resulted in a lack of power. They could not deliver the child. So what, what's the problem, they said. Jesus, why couldn't we do it? He said, this kind can come out only by prayer. We are, as I've already said, we're in a conflict with evil forces. The Bible is crystal clear. There is a spiritual world, and it is... Uh, God and and the holy angels make up one part of that spiritual world and the devil and the fallen angels, the demons, they make up the other uh, aspect of that invisible world. And so we are in a, a battle. And just like this boy was controlled by Satan and there wasn't anyone who could set him free So there are people today who are likewise controlled by Satan. And we can take it out from the individual and and we could say there's a whole generation that is controlled by evil spirits these days. I mean, if you think of what's happening in our world, if you think of what's happening in our culture, uh, you think of some of the, you know, I say young people, but it's not exclusively young people, right? Uh, I think of the people whose lives are bound up in drug addiction. And they're, 
the younger ones, think of the, the grief of the parent and everything they, they've tried avails nothing. I spoke to a man yesterday morning and he came up and he told me about his 25-year-old son who's had this addiction to crystal meth and he's just saying, would you pray for me? And he's asking for counsel and advice. And man, when you hear that, you're just like, Lord. But I said, yes, indeed, I will pray for you because that's what we need to do. Because prayer is where we see the power of God uh, enacted. So faith produces prayer and it's, uh, faith produces power and it's related to prayer. So how do we build up our faith? Well, prayer is one of the ways that we build up our faith. So let's look at that for a moment. How is my faith built up? Because if my faith's built up, there are, there's going to be, the manifestation of my faith is going to be seen through power. Power over these kinds of things. We're going to see the power of the enemy broken. How, how does that happen? Well, we know from Scripture that, number one, we're told that faith comes by hearing God's Word. So maybe today you say, my faith is small. Maybe you're like this man. You think, Lord... I do believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe you, you just feel that you're kind of in a perpetual state of a, a just very little faith. How do you change that? Well, faith comes by hearing God's word. So God's word, that, that is where our faith is built up. You see, as we take the word of God and as we meditate on it, as we assimilate it into our lives, as we read about what God has done in the past, here's what happens. This is ideal. This is what God wants to happen. God wants you to be able to read, as you're, as you're reading through the stories of the Bible, uh, to recognize that you're going to find parallels in the Bible of your own experience. And God wants you to know what he did in that situation for those people that you can Expect him to do similar things for you in your life at this time. You know, the Bible is not just a history book of what happened with these people of God in previous generations. The Bible is a prophetic book, and what God did in the past is just a prophecy of what he will do in the future. Now, I would imagine that this is the case with many of you, and I know it's certainly been the case with me. There are times I'm reading through the scriptures, I'm going through my time of reading, devotion, however you want to describe it. And I find I'm, I'm reading maybe the life of, of one of the people in the Old Testament, say. And I'm finding, man, my experience is parallel to what I'm reading about right here. You ever had that experience where you're reading the Bible and you think, wow, I'm reading about myself right now. Or I'm reading about my situation. My circumstances are similar to the ones right here. Not obviously identical, but they're similar. And so you read on and you see what God does in that. And you think, oh, that is amazing. Look what the Lord did. Look how he came through. Here's what God wants you to know. Expect the same thing in your own life today. See, God doesn't want you just to read that and go, oh, that was so wonderful that you did that for them back then. Too bad you don't work like that today, God. Now, lots of people think that God doesn't work like that today. Seriously. Uh, there are many, many people sitting in churches today who would never expect God to intervene in their lives today like he did, say, in the life of Abraham or like he did, say, in the life of Joseph or like he did in uh, the time of Moses or David. They would just say, oh, well, you know, that, that stuff, uh, I don't know, 
It's ancient history. God doesn't work like that anymore. Oh, yes, he does. And these things were written for us to build our faith, to show us this is how God works in the lives of his people. And so I guarantee that you're going to find some place in scripture where you see a parallel with your life or with your circumstances. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I feel like Job. You ever feel like Job? Job's had a rough time, right? Just one trial after another, one difficulty after another. Seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So what do we do with that? Well, we look and we see, like James tells us, look to the end. See what the Lord did for Job. See how God is faithful. That's, that's what God wants us to do. So first thing to build up our faith, because that's my point, right? Is God's word. So take it to heart. Don't just take it as history. It is that, but take it as, these are God's words to me today as well, to my family, to our circumstance. And as we look right here at this boy, And like I said, with that man yesterday, or maybe you today, right now, you're in a situation, maybe you have a child that the devil has just got a grip in their life. And you think, how's this ever going to change? What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know what to do. And, And you feel my faith is so weak. Well, guess what? Just like this man, you can say, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. And God, please work. And you can expect him to work. The second thing is that our faith is strengthened through the faith of others. Do you realize that? Our faith is strengthened through the faith of others. This is why the Bible tells us we must gather together. We must, we must meet together as God's people. And meeting together means not we're just all sitting in the same building together, but meeting together means we're meeting, we're, we're crossing paths, we're sharing life, we're sharing stories. And so we emphasize, get plugged in, you know, get into a community group, get into a place where you're doing life with somebody, because faith is built up through the faith of others. And so I'm going through something, I'm struggling with something, I'm talking to a person uh, sitting across from me, and they start telling me what they've been through, and they start telling me what God has done, and all of a sudden, man, my faith is being built up. I'm being encouraged. They go, wow, the Lord did that for them. I'm going to trust God to do that for me. Or I'm going to say, well, I have a similar story. Tell me more. Could you pray for me? See, these are the things that happen. That's why we have to come together. We have to share. This faith is built up this way. So if your faith is weak, the question is, are you really in God's word? Are you taking it to heart? If your faith is weak, are you uh, connecting with other believers and experiencing through them the faithfulness of God? And then, now thirdly and finally, Our faith is built up through prayer. Prayer builds our faith. Because prayer itself is an act of faith. You know, if I don't pray, you know what it simply means? It means I don't believe that God hears or works. 
Or it's, I don't need God to hear and work. I can take care of it all myself. But when I pray, I am demonstrating my trust in the Lord. I'm saying, God, I believe that you are there. I believe that you reward those who diligently seek you. So I'm coming to you through this. And as we pray, you know, when you pray, you spend time with God and spending time with God naturally has the impact of strengthening our faith. But then when we pray also, what happens is we see answered prayer. And then our faith is strengthened. Because we prayed about that. We asked God to do that. It seemed like an impossible situation. And man, look at what has happened. So I, after the first service, I was talking to a couple. And I know them very well. And uh, their daughter, who I will not name. But their daughter was um, honestly very similar to the... The worst demonic uh, person that we, that we find in the New Testament, in many ways, drugs, major drug issue for years, trouble all the time, arrested over and over again. You know, first name basis with the police. You know, just trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. And we would just pray. You know, they would come and tell me the story of where she's at again. And it's just like, oh, Lord, help, help, help. And, and you know, prayer and prayer and prayer. So this morning, and I, I know this already, but I haven't had an update recently uh, this morning. So back in January, she, having finally said, okay, Jesus, I surrender to you. She went off. She's with a mission organization. She's serving the Lord. She's on her way to the Philippines to do a two-month ministry outreach in the Philippines. And as they're telling me the story, I mean, just to hear that is a faith builder for me. See, wow, God really did save this girl, really did deliver her. So you see, when we see answered prayer, that answered prayer increases my faith. It causes me to know that, you know, God hears our prayers. And so I want to pray more. And that's the, that's the focus. Jesus said that this kind can only come out through prayer. And as we look around today, you know, there's, there's so, I think of so many young people today who grew up in church who were taught the Bible from the time they were kids. And man, today they are in just full tilt rebellion to God, their parents. Uh, I was talking to some friends recently about one of their children. And, and I mean, this is, this is a guy that used to lead worship. This is a guy that taught Bible studies. This is a guy who, you know, was engaged in ministry. And, and he's just been swept up in, in the world to the extent that he says to his parents, I don't want you to come near my family because you're dangerous. Your ideas are dangerous. And I don't want my kids to, to know any of the stuff that you want to put in their heads, which is stuff about God. Uh, he's just bought into the whole current cultural lie. And as I'm having a conversation with them about this, man, and I told him sincerely, I said, you know what? I'm praying for your son. 
I am praying for him. I actually had a personal encounter with that hostility uh, with him some time ago. They didn't know anything about it. And I said, yeah, we had a little mix up. And I said, ever since then, I've been praying for him and I've been praying for you. But how, do, how are people going to come out of this? How's this generation going to be freed from this satanic deception that's come upon so many? Well, I'll tell you, it's not going to happen without prayer. It's not going to happen without prayer. And so, listen, when we, this, let's just be really honest here. Most Christians don't really pray. That's a fact. I mean, you know, prayer is like, God, help me. I'm in trouble. Okay, great. Thank you, Lord. I'll see you later. Three months from now, when I get in trouble again, I'll be back. I mean, that's a lot of the way that Christians pray. Christians pray more petition, and it's usually petition about their own situation. Do we pray beyond that? We have to pray beyond that. Now, why do I say most Christians don't pray? Well, it's a fact across the board in most churches, uh, the prayer meetings are the least attended. They're the least popular things. People do anything except go to a prayer meeting. But, and in some ways, I get it because the Bible talks about laboring in prayer. Prayers work. And it's in prayer that we're just engaging head on with the enemy. And that's, that's challenging. And, and so there's something almost just built into our human nature, our fallen human nature. When we think about prayer, it's like, oh, I'm just too tired for that. I'm going to, I'll just watch Netflix instead. I'll scroll Twitter. Maybe there's a good prayer on there. I could just pray really quick. <laughs> this is like, this is our world today. God help us. We got to pray. We've got to learn to pray. And it's got to be more than just, I'm in a jam, Lord, help me out. It's got to be beyond that. It's got to be, man, there, there's a world that is under the control of the devil. Lord, break the power of the enemy over this. God, pour out your spirit. God, do a new thing. Do a fresh thing. Do something powerful. And, and we are the people. We're the interceders. We're the ones that, that are to make that intercession before God. That's part of what we do. You know, the Lord, when he's looking at Israel and it's about to be judged, he says, I searched throughout the land and I couldn't find a person to stand in the gap. There was no one. How crazy is that? We, we are those people. This kind comes out only by prayer. And so we must learn to pray. We must commit ourselves to prayer. And, and I've said this before, but let me just say it again. Uh, you know, we have many different options to pray here at the church. Tonight at 6.30, we have our prayer meeting, uh, which is one uh, aspect of prayer. We have prayer, different prayer opportunities all throughout the week here. Man, thank God we have the mothers in prayer who pray for their kids, for the prodigals, all of that. Um, we need dads in prayer, men in prayer. The Bible says men should pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without disputes and things, but um, so we, we have to commit ourselves to it. You know, there, there has to be a commitment because like I said, our flesh is going to revolt against it many times. 
And we have to have a commitment. We have to just say, you know what? This is something that's non-negotiable. We got to do this. And so, of course, you can pray alone, and, and we should. Set aside a little bit of time to pray. And don't get discouraged if, if you feel like, oh, I can't think of anything to pray or whatever. Just be patient and say, Lord, help me. You know, help my unbelief. Help me to pray. Teach me to pray. But it's also to pray with others is really helpful. It's very helpful to pray with others. And so whether you, you know, that's why we have prayer meetings where we come together because it's helpful to do that. But if you can't make it to one, start one yourself. Get a couple of friends. You have a couple of friends who are believers. Say, hey, let's pray together. You know, when I first became a Christian, I had two friends that became Christians with me. And we looked at each other and we had all of, of course, all of our friends were not Christians. And we said, man, our friends need to know Jesus. What do we do? Well, let's pray together. Let's pray for them. And we just started praying faithfully, rigorously. Uh, and, you know, within like three months, 50 of our friends had come to know Christ. It was amazing. I mean, we went from an apartment with three of us sitting there praying to an apartment with 50 people gathered, worshiping, reading the Bible together, studying. And we need to pray together. So, so get, get with a group of people. You know, ladies are usually really good at this. Guys, not so good. Guys, we got to do it. Make a commitment. Grab a couple friends and just set aside a little bit of time a week. Even if you do it, you know, if you have to do it over the phone or something or have to do it on FaceTime or Skype or whatever, you know, just have some prayer time with somebody. Take advantage of, of the opportunities because this kind does not come out except through prayer. We're not going to make a whole lot of headway if we're trying to go forward without prayer. Because if we're trying to go forward without prayer, we're not going forth in faith. And if we're not going forth in faith, we don't have any power and we're not going to make any advance. So we need to pray. God, God help us to pray. Several years ago, I used to have a, a prayer meeting in my office. And this prayer meeting specifically, and I think I've mentioned it before, but we, we did it, I think, four days a week, just for one hour in the morning. And we did, um, so one, one of the groups of guys I prayed with, there were about five or seven of us, and every one of them had a connection to Latin America. So we prayed for the Latin world. We prayed for the Spanish-speaking world. And um, we just prayed for God to move, pour out a spirit, you know, and we did that for quite a few years. And there were another group of people that came out of the Middle East background. Half of them came out of a Muslim background. We used to pray for the Middle East. We did all that. Then, you know, then there came a time when the Lord sort of moved us all into different things. And we didn't stop because we got tired of praying. We just moved into some different directions. But all of that to say, when I was in South America a couple of weeks ago, two of those guys that were in the prayer meeting with me, back those years ago, we were traveling together. And, you know, just seeing what God is doing in South America and how the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few, like it always is. You know, I just looked at those guys. I said, man, when we get home, let's reboot the prayer meeting for South America. And of course, they said, yeah, let's do it. And so we're going to do it. But, you know, the amazing thing is, 
we have so much potential to see the power of God unleashed in the lives of people around us. And you know, the crazy thing about prayer is you can actually impact an entire nation and never physically visit it. You can impact an entire people group and never meet a single one of them. You can impact them through prayer. And as we pray, as Jesus said here, these satanic strongholds, these these forces and powers that blind people to the reality of the gospel and hold them captive in sin, these things are broken. And God begins to move. And so God help us. Faith, power, the link is with prayer. God help us to pray. So Lord, that is our cry to you today. Help us to become more than we've ever been men and women of prayer. Oh Lord, we we know we need to pray. And Lord, like the apostles, Lord, we, we would have to confess, Lord, that what you said was true of them is true of us as well. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. So Lord, would you overrule our flesh and would you help us, Lord, to be men and women of prayer more so than we've ever been and to see your power demonstrated in the deliverance of individual people, in the deliverance of, Lord, groups of people, in deliverance of the culture, the nations, from the grip of the devil. Lord, may we do our part as your people who pray. Help us, Lord, to take this to heart. In Jesus' name, amen.